from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, with more than 100 degree programs offered in four locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Good evening from the Capitol Building in Charleston, I'm Suzanne Higgins. This week, lawmakers debated tax breaks, sought remedies for a foster care system in crisis, and passed a resolution calling for a convention of states, and much more. Here to, the, to review the week with me are Brad McElhaney of West Virginia Metro News, Emily Atlin of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, and Ryan Quinn of the Charleston Gazette Mail. Thank you all for being here today. I, I enjoy Fridays because we not only can review the really big headlines, but perhaps we can um, cover some things that we just weren't able to. The, 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 uh, our show is only so long. And that brings me to um, our, our first segment today. I wanna take a look at a clip that we have between Finance uh, Minority Chair Mick Bates, who stood in support of legalization of recreational cannabis. He says in part as a means to establish a revenue stream. And then we have uh, Delegate Daryl Coles of Morgan County who offers his opposition to that legalization. We'll take a listen. Mr. Speaker, let the record reflect yet again that I am not in favor of recreational marijuana. What I do support and what I believe the majority of West Virginians are for and the majority of the members of this House would vote for if it came to the floor is the taxation regulation and decriminalization of the personal possession of cannabis by an adult over the age of 21. Mr. Chairman, I'm confident in your ability to work with us in a bipartisan way to balance our budget for 2021. But you know, and I know, that we're gonna need some big money around here to the tune of at least of $170 million to close a structural hole in our budget starting in 2022 and every year thereafter. And that $170 million is before we've paid for Mitch and his minions' JV Supreme Court, his heavy equipment tax cut, or to fund PEIA when we haven't fixed it, in closing, Mr. Speaker. We need to create a place that people want to be and want to come to. Cannabis can fix the single biggest problem we have, our people problem, our population problem. There is a growing industry in this country that West Virginia is uniquely positioned to capitalize on if we act and act now. We need sober workers, healthy families, educated children. Solutions for West Virginia's economy would involve a diversified economy, educated workers, good roads and infrastructure, healthy families, safe workers, fair tax policy, those things, my friends, are difficult but necessary to economic health in West Virginia. If you believe legal pot is an economic solution, you are being misled. We should get smart about economic policy. The risk to young people 
of adult use cannabis is real. Now, Brad, the House Finance Minority Chair McBates was part of a group of um, senior Democrats in the House that wrote a letter to the Secretary of Commerce about, uh, about this matter. Tell us about the letter. Yeah, well, it, it demonstrated their fairly solid support on the Democratic side in the House. Uh, I'm not sure there's really any dissent among the Democrats. Uh, obviously, there is among Republicans, and they're in the majority. Uh, as you were saying, uh, House Speaker Roger Hanshaw has expressed misgivings. Uh, and if that exists in the Republican majority in the House, I got to think the same exists in the Senate, uh, maybe even more so among, I think it exists in the Senate among the majority Republicans, but the majority Democrats in the Senate tend to be a little more conservative than their counterparts in the House, and so I think they might have misgivings too. And this letter was um, written by uh, House Minority Leader Tim Miley, signed by several other uh, Democrats, and it, it's calling for uh, Secretary Gonch to uh, conduct an impact study of, of the legalization of, of uh, recreational uh, marijuana. Yeah, and unless I'm wrong, uh, Secretary Gaunch said he and his staff could provide that. Uh, you know, and the Democrats are, are making an interesting play here, which is um, not just legalization for legalization's sake, but making an economic argument to do it. Uh, and it's interesting to hear uh, Delegate Coles say that West Virginia needs economic diversity as an argument against doing this, uh, you know, it, because that's, that's really the very argument that Democrats are making, that this would um, goose West Virginia's economy. Exactly. Emily, Senate Bill 94 is now on its way to the governor. You've been reporting on this uh, particular bill. Remind us what it is and, and what it will, or how it will roll out. Well, it has nothing to do with recreational cannabis. Um, it's more so, and it is notably, um, you, you know, the first bill to both pass both chambers of the legislature this year. It would allow people with certain disabilities to um, vote electronically. Um, right now, they're kind of anticipating that will be a mobile app, but I was just talking to the Secretary of State's office, and they, um, you know, they have to make sure that still fits with modern uh, standards for security requirements. But and, and, and so what does it allow uh, people with disabilities to do? Because th this is really important because we know in West Virginia we have among the highest uh, per capita, per capita um, population living with disabilities. Yeah, so it would um, allow them to vote more independently. Right now, the argument is that they need assistance. You know, if they're um, if they have you know if they're visually impaired or if there's um, something with their hands, they need assistance to fill out their ballot, and that violates their constitutional right to privacy because they have somebody who technically kind of understands what they're voting. Um, so the idea is that you know through an app or through um, a system that's been established, like another state, Maryland has one. They'll be able to use um, you know technology to vote more independently. It can be like a readback thing, um, but it wouldn't incorporate somebody else filling out the ballot for them and knowing their vote. All right. Um, this week, of course, the, the both finance uh, committees of the House and Senate are, are starting those budget hearings. The agencies come before them. And we had the um, Senate Finance Committee uh, hear the education budget 
earlier this week. Um, we have an exchange between uh, Senator Roland Roberts of Raleigh County and Stephen Payne, the state superintendent of schools. He also then um, questions Sarah, uh, Sarah Armstrong Tucker, the uh, chancellor of the Community and Technical College System, and she's also interim head of the Higher Education Policy Commission now. This was after discussion that only 52% of our high school graduates go on to some kind of additional training or higher education. And the senator asks about tracking these students that graduate, what happens to them. We can go ahead and take a listen to that. We're creating a dashboard where we want to catch all of those kids. We're calling that the three E's, educational attainment, two and four year, one year advanced credential, micro credentials, employment, and, and highly high level skilled employment, and then enlistment because as you know, West Virginia, and I'm very proud of this, uh, percentage wise, we have the, the, we're the, I believe the number one state in the country per capita that has kids that enter the military. You talked about the 54% labor mm -hmm. participation rate. Nationally, the, the statistic is 63%. Yep. We are 9% below. Mm -hmm. We have been about 8 or 9% below for 80 years. Are there actual things that you see that we haven't tried that we're doing now or that we plan on doing mm -hmm. to narrow that gap if we're going to be able to meet the needs of the future. Well, I think that there are several things that we can do, and, I, and I'm not going to underscore the importance that I think West Virginia Invest is going to play in that role, in that position. I mean, I think West Virginia Invests will really help to recruit some of those adult students who have stopped out and get them to go to college. I think we have a lot of pieces out there. I think we need to tie them together better. Um, everything from, you know, remedial courses and, um, you know, campaigns around the cost of college all the way to the 529 plan. <laughs> you know, I mean, we have all of these pieces in the state. My hope is that within the guise of this West Virginia Climb Initiative, we bring people to the table who own different pieces of this and we can work together to help shorten some of, or to help narrow some of these gaps. And that little clip gives our audience an inkling of, you know, what is on the, the minds of lawmakers. They're talking about addressing our low labor force participation. They, they, they're looking to expand West Virginia Invest, which is the community and technical college assistance um, last dollar in bill, the big Senate bill one that, that passed last year. Ryan, what others, now, now of course, this is a Senate finance uh, committee hearing, but in terms of what the, the House and Senate education committees are prioritizing this year, what, uh, what is your sense about what they are, are, are pushing and want to see come through their committees this year? Well, it seems like not much because the Senate education committees only met, I think, twice. Uh, House education has met many more times, but on uh, bills that seem to be of little import. I mean, they ha passed a bill the other day out of House education that requires cursive in West Virginia classrooms, which is already required under state board policy. And then they passed one, or they didn't pass one, but they actually took time to consider it, a bill that would uh, require a personal finance credit, which is already part of the civics requirements. So I hear some discussion about uh, maybe we want a higher education funding formula finally, but 
seems like that may actually only come up next session. These, these committees haven't been active on major legislation. That's really interesting because uh, when the Senate uh, gave their listing of priorities, I believe at the beginning of last week, mm -hmm. um, uh, the, the Senate president really pushed that, you know, we were going to do more in education, more specifically higher education. Well, we're about, uh, I think, a third of the way through mm -hmm. the session now, and we haven't seen that. I mean, if you recall, you know, last session, I mean, the last two sessions have been very abnormal with two teacher strikes two years in a row. But you started right off the bat with Senate Education coming out with the omnibus. That was like one of the first bills they pushed out. There hasn't been much uh, so far on this front. But again, I hear that you know people are interested in this funding formula, even though the Blue Ribbon Commission uh, that uh, uh, Governor Justice put together to work on this kind of fell apart. Apparently, college presidents have been meeting quietly about that um, before the session began. And um, I, I do hear that they somehow want to expand, uh, House Republicans at least, uh, or maybe Senate Republicans too, want to expand the West Virginia Invest to maybe cover some four-year colleges so that the free tuition expands the baccalaureate institutions as well. But so far, I haven't seen much on that front. That's interesting. Um, our, our next clip we wanted to talk about, the Senate uh, Select Committee on, on Children and Families met for the first time uh, yesterday. And of course, you know, they've, they've laid out their focus, which um, are those 10,000 uh, homeless students and 7,000 children in, uh, in, in foster care. Here's just a, um, just a brief summary or some excerpts rather of some of their their priorities what they see they need to be doing this session we'll take a listen to that charleston is not hearing what the providers problems are and what they need it's like trying to build a house upside down instead of starting on the ground floor and building up and the ground floor being the communities and the provider network for some reason in this state, we try to build it from the top down and push it down to the community. It does not work, Mr. Chairman. It is a fallacy. It is a fatal flaw in the system. The stress of these grand families, grandparents, kinship care, we have to make it something that these folks want to do they, and, and, and can do. They want to do it. They want to help uh, these children uh, that uh, don't have uh, biological parents. But we're putting roadblocks up. We're paying $200 a month for kinship care. We're paying $600 a month to be a foster parent. We can't throw those hurdles at them. We have to smooth out that system in such a way that these children can easily make the easy, make the right choice the easy choice and care for these kids. I want to bring up the issue of our kids in foster care that age out. We're not talking about that at all, not just enough. We're not talking about that at all. And uh, we need a place for those kids to go. They're, they're letting them out on the street. They have no place to go. They're homeless. Most of them don't have parents. They don't have any place to go. So they're just, we don't know where they are. We don't have any way to track those kids. We don't know where they are. They're not getting educated or not getting jobs. Uh, we don't know where they are. We don't know what they're doing. And that's a big disservice to our state and to our, and to our children. 
And those are just some of the issues that are contained within um, separate pieces of legislation or at least, you know, um, ways of addressing some of those issues. Brad, you've done a, a lot of reporting on the, the foster care issues thus far. It's a continuation of work done last session. Uh, bring us up to date on, on what's happening this week. Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned those numbers and they're, they're overwhelming, uh, 10,000 uh, children considered homeless in West Virginia, 7,000 uh, children in some form of foster care in West Virginia, uh, and lawmakers in both houses trying to do some things that will uh, improve the system. But, you know, you heard those clips, three or four clips there, and one thing that crossed my mind is because the problems are so overwhelming, because they're so vast, because they're so intertwined, uh, it, trying to figure out how to deal with them is overwhelming, and I'm glad that Select Committee on Children and Families was uh, established, you know, mm -hmm. to give you an opinion. Mm -hmm. But boy, I thought it, it really would have been great if it could have been established months ago instead of having its first meeting as we enter the one-third mark yeah. of the legislative session. Um, you know, uh, again, different, Emily and I were trying to, to, to remember the, the different committees that had foster care legislation before them just this week. Yeah, it was, I'm gonna mess up the numbers, but the House Bill 4094, the Ombudsman one, and then House Bill 4092, I probably have those mixed up, but 4092 is the Bills of Rights. And it's been in Judiciary, Finance, one of them Health and finance Human right Resources, now, yeah. the, select, uh, the Select Committee on, on Children and Families now approaching that. Um, a lot of attention to the guardians ad litem and a system that according to parents and foster parents and um, the provider agencies is not as responsive as it needs to be. Um, tell us a little bit about about that issue, Emily. I think it extends beyond the guardians ad litem personally, and it's not an issue that I've you know been following alone, but it's something I've been in a lot of meetings for, but they, they do kind of, um, exemplify this need for accountability through the guardians ad litem. In childhood abuse and neglect cases alone, which are the foster care kind of intertwined ones, um, the, the Supreme Court, you know, when they're in charge of all the judicial systems throughout the state, they, um, I, in an email that I got, you know, they said, I think there are about 470 guardians ad litem in that kind of category serving these issues throughout the state. Um, you know, when we covered family treatment courts uh, a few months ago for West Virginia Public Broadcasting and other stories where we've actually been in the courthouses, it doesn't look like there's a lot of guardians at litem. Um, so they are people that tend to have a lot of caseloads and the, the complaints from families and from legislators that we've heard is that, you know, a lot of these guardians at litem aren't actually meeting with our kids. They're not meeting with us. They're not interviewing the people we ask them to, the family members that we think might, they, there might be problems there, you and know. The, and the charge. Uh, the responsibility of the guardians ad litem. Yes, so I mean, they're trying to, through uh, some of this legislation that you know we've already mentioned, increase accountability by, um, I, you know, there's a provision in one of those bills um, to have them get a signed statement every time they meet with somebody. They represent the child in court, the best yes, yeah, interests yeah. of the child in court, and parents and foster parents are saying, if you're going to get a really good handle on this, you're going to need to interview all of these people and that's not happening and that's where the complaints are. Yeah. And yeah. so, go ahead, Brian. No, so, uh, you know, there's, there's a balancing act. Those are not easy positions to fill um, and they can be emotionally demanding. Uh, so you're balancing 
the need to, to provide a responsible report, to be thorough with um, representing these children who are very fragile, uh, versus trying to make sure it's not so burdensome that you're forcing people out of the positions. Uh, so that's the balancing act that the legislature is dealing with. Uh, that bill also uh, raises the per diem for kinship families, uh, which is an increasingly important role in West Virginia. Uh, Money that families are given on a, on a monthly basis to help support these children that they've taken in. 600 is what the, the DHHR said they're doing now to 900. That's what the bill wants to do. It's sitting in finance. But there are so many of these situations that the total amount uh, I think is maybe more than legislators thought. So that's why the bill has gone to finance, which is it's a flat budget year. Although this needs to be a priority, can we afford it? Yeah, and we're and and they're continuing uh, to figure this out. They're in multiple uh, they're in multiple committees, and we'll just have to continue to to follow it. Um, back to an education question, Ryan. Uh, last year, of course, uh, you know the big omnibus or uh, the uh, um, Omnibus, omnibus, yeah, <laughs> the big omnibus uh, piece of legislation. It was uh, the big divisive part of that, of course, was charter schools. Um, and also education savings accounts were also um, a hot button on that matter. That has been reintroduced uh, in, in a singular form bill. Um, any, any traction? I don't think so. Um. And, you know, sometimes you introduce things because you want your constituents know that you, to know that you still care about them, but you can't necessarily push that legislation when no one else wants to go along with it in an election year. Um, you know, I, I haven't heard from uh, unions or anyone that they're really concerned about that bill moving, but I'm sure everybody is watching it in case it starts to. And, and the unions express that they might be um, getting their pieces together to to go to court over the um, the charter school legislation. Where where is that now? It's a, it's a good question. Uh, they they said that a long time ago. We had like one union saying they were going to sue over it, then another, and then another. Uh, I think we've got all three now saying that they're going to sue over uh, charter schools. Um, but I think they've run into this this question about when should you actually launch a suit. Uh, charter schools have been upheld as legal in many other states, um, and I've heard legal theories that you actually have to wait until you can show that the charter school has actually caused harm to the public school system before you can convince a judge uh, that the charter schools are actually harmful. So unless they've got some other case, like, a, and they've, they've said this before, like a specific piece of our Constitution requires something like a, a referendum uh, by voters to create an independent school district and a charter school is an independent school district, unless they can win on something like that, uh, they may have to wait, one, until the policy takes effect that the state board has promulgated. That hasn't happened. And then maybe even longer until a charter school gets in place and actually starts taking money away from the public school system at large. <coughs> Uh, then maybe you can convince a judge that, uh, that, that this is unconstitutional. All right. The last thing I wanted to uh, talk about as you're choking, Brad, is <laughs> Senate Joint Resolution 8, like and that is the issue of repealing the tax on inventory and equipment on large manufacturers. We only have a moment left, but, um, you know, this was a very big issue. It, it, it seems like a long time ago at the beginning of, the, of this week. The back and forth. Give us, uh, give us a little bit of the pro and con as we wrap up. 
Yeah, well, those who support it say that uh, it would promote manufacturing, uh, those good-paying jobs, as people say. Uh, those who are against it say that's going to be a $100 million hole in the budget. And worse than that, it would affect not just state government, but local counties <coughs> and school systems. I'm, I'm sorry. <coughs> Anybody else? Okay, we'll just school we'll systems. Just, school are, are systems, and, and you know, um, a lot of the senators from the, the southern districts. God bless you. Thank you so much. Maybe health department. Uh, uh, thank you all. Brad McElhaney of West Virginia Metro News in the background there. Emily Allen of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, and Ryan Quinn of the Charleston Gazette Mail. Thank you all for being here. And one last important look back at the activity here at the Capitol this week. West Virginians living with disabilities gathered here to advocate for their needs and their rights. Randy Yowie reports. I come here every year. I come here every year. They came to the Capitol with a rotunda rally and an urgency to tell their stories and express their needs. This is not Disability Awareness Day anymore. This is Disability Advocacy Day. And these smart, well-informed, very passionate people certainly know the difference. Advocacy is much more assertive. And it's not a matter of, oh, please pay attention to us. We're here. It is, we're here, and here's what we need and what we want. Wants and needs highlighting legislative action regarding housing access, abuse protection, voting rights, and fairness in employment. Jeannie Elkins, Autistic Son Allen, has 17 years in as a Boone County Hospital supply worker. They both support Senate Bill 253, creating a state initiative to give the disabled person a fair chance for gainful employment. It's about being able to contribute, being able to be part of the community that you live in and have friends and do real work that's very valued. At 80, fighting for rights all his life, Delmer Davis came to pass the baton of advocacy and let others stand on his cerebral palsy-stricken shoulders. They need strong shoulders. That will not break. Bending legislators' ears for a breakthrough fair chance. I'm Randy Yowie for the Legislature Today. Monday on the legislature today, we'll visit with a Greenbrier County resident who has waited years to get back into his home following the floods of June 2016. And we'll get an update on the recovery program from lawmakers. I'm Suzanne Higgins for everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend.